suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, congratulations, dear listener. Somehow you've stumbled upon our little podcast. <laughs> We're back from a break. Uh, this is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. Uh, we're starting a new year, 2020. And this is a podcast where we talk about news and politics, sex and religion. We look at what's going on in the world. We try to explain it. We give our opinions and try to impart a little bit of knowledge and learn a few things ourselves along the way, most importantly. And it feels great to be back behind the microphone. I, of course, am Trevor, the Iron Fist, a.k.a. the Iron Fist, with me nearly as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. <laughs> g'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, listeners. How are you all? And with me, as always, the 12th man. <laughs> g'day, everyone. How are you? <laughs> yes, we're just three guys sitting around some microphones in a big room in my house yeah. in Brisbane, and we talk about what's going on in Australia and around the world, and plenty has happened since we last spoke. And, of course, well, pretty much most of Australia, it seems, is on fire. It's in one form or another. There's a lot of bushfires around. Yeah, so, so we're going to talk about bushfires and what the government, and in particular ScoMo, has done or not done about the fires. Uh, some, you know, maybe he's come in for some fair criticism, maybe some of it a little harsh. ScoMo for our foreign listeners being our current Prime Minister. Mm. So we'll talk about him. We're going to talk about... Uh, Fireworks displays? Yes. Because that came up as to whether... A few were cancelled, weren't they? Yeah. And, you know, we're going to discuss the ethical and moral dilemma of whether a firework should go on during a fire crisis. Mm. And I'm going to convince you, dear listener, that they should. So stick around for that. Um, we're going to talk about Barnaby Joyce. We'll talk about media bias. We might mention the New Zealand volcano incident. Mm. Didn't we talk about that last year? I don't think so. I don't think we did. And an interesting twist on insurance in New Zealand. Um, Our local Premier, and of course we'll talk a little bit about Trump and impeachment and Iran. So that's Mm. what we've got ahead of us. And hello to Ross and Wheat Watcher who are already in the chat room. If you're in the chat room watching us live, make some comments, say hello, that's good, Um, and join in. So, right, so... Look, there's a, there's a chance that on this podcast we might have some new international listeners because I was interviewed on something and uh, it's due to come out soon and as a result some, some people might be listening. So, And because it's sort of 2020 and the start of a new year, before we normally, dear listener, we would launch straight into the topics. Like we don't muck around too much. Normally. No, but this we time don't. we'll do a little bit of mucking around just to introduce ourselves So, in case you haven't heard of us before. So, so I'm Trevor. Uh, I'm a white cisgender, heterosexual male, <laughs> ex-lawyer, living in a McMansion with a tennis court and a wood-fired pizza oven in the Pretty leafy good. western suburbs You're of Brisbane. You're doing well, Trevor. So I naturally represent the working class. <laughs> Actually, the working class. Thank you. Uh, Scott, he's white, cisgendered, private school-educated male accountant and former member, of the Lib- former member of the Liberal Party. I am former member of the Liberal Party. And because he identifies as homosexual, he's the closest thing we have to being a representative of an oppressed minority. <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is indeed. 
Good on you, Scott. Yeah. And also Paul. Paul's I'm, a, I'm a genuine <laughs> member of the working class. <laughs> no, 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 Paul, Paul. Paul's a white cisgendered male bike riding English teacher who is currently looking for love. Oh. <laughs> I've he, always been looking for love. He objects to my description of him as a libertarian, but he embraces his role as a contrarian. I and do. because he's the oldest of our group, he gets to represent the, oh. the boomers. Yeah, and maybe the, the senior citizens. Okay. Fear not, dear listener. We're going to get you through 2020. We've got a few things planned for this podcast. Haven't told you guys about it. Haven't told you, listener. We'll get to it eventually. We'll hold that um, in the uh, for a little bit later. We'll just we'll talk about that. Just before we move on, as well, you know, in case you are new to the podcast and you're wondering who are these guys, I mean, really, are they qualified to talk about? What's going on in the world? No, we're not as qualified. We're probably just as qualified as Alan Jones, but, well, you know. I would have thought more qualified than <laughs> well, Alan Jones. I asked a friend for a reference and he left an audio message for us. So oh, good. I called up my friend Ricky Gervais. This is what he said about us as a bit of a reference. You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the oh, real world. Ricky. There we go. That's what he thought about us. It's a bit harsh. <laughs> a bit harsh. But, True. But Ricky is quite a, a, you know, he's got a wise head on his shoulders. Yeah. So. Yep. He's probably firm but fair. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Anyway, what's going on there? Do you hear a noise? Yeah. Who's I that? I hear um, David. Oh, is it? Yeah, David Edinburgh's playing again. Edinburgh's playing again. How can I turn him off? Why is that coming through? Oh, is it coming from my... Oh, it'll be coming from your computer. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you turn that off. There we go. Fixed. Fixed. Okay. Right. We've got through that. Now, a little bit of a theme of this episode, because we're going to talk about the bushfires, Mm. but also just a theme for the year, I think, is we've got to be aware of hidden agendas when we're reading stuff, because this podcast is basically based on us finding articles and news items and discussing what's going on. So we're relying a lot on information from other people. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's been a hobby horse of mine to talk about... Where is this stuff coming from? So that's sort of part of the whole bushfire story that we're going to talk about um, in this episode is is who's telling the story, what side are we getting, and who's, where, is, where does the truth lie? And often part of that means who's writing this story? Do they have an agenda? Is it, is it important to them for some agenda, i.e. being paid, that they run a particular line? Are they completely unbiased or not? So, Because mm. um, it's just so much bias in the media that we need to you know, a- acknowledge it and just sort of um, see what, 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 it, what happens as a result. Because, dear listener, thanks to you and the, your patronage, I subscribe to a whole range of different media outlets from The Australian through The Guardian, the ABC, <laughs> Courier Mail... Left, right, and in the middle. Do you consider and any of them unbiased? No. And that's the whole point is mm. they, each one is and some more than others. Mm. And you really – I'm sometimes I'm shocked but sometimes I'm not as mm. to just the complete difference in the story. Mm. Honestly, in the middle of this whole bushfire fiasco with Scott Morrison and his behaviour, depending on the news outlet that you are reading from – on the one hand, he's a complete idiot who's bringing the country to rack and ruin. And on the other hand, the other story is that he's actually just, uh, he might have made a little mistake here or there, but he's back on board and things are going well and he's doing a great job. It's, it's so different depending on what you're reading. So, um, so yeah, so 
what I want to get across to people is that you've got to find out who's writing these articles, what's their agenda if they have one. Treat people like a used car salesman until they earn your trust. I mean, if a, re- a used car salesman says to you, it's a great car, you'll love it, you know, I, you know you'd, you'd be wary because you say, oh, clearly he wants a commission, he wants a sale, he's going mm. to tell me a story, mm. I'll take everything he says with a grain of salt. Well, mm. every time you read an article... Do you think you it's the same, to, though? Do you think they're com- it's comparable? Because journalists generally, I mean, you know, they, they either work for a salary or they work per item that they produce, don't they? That's true. So... Uh, so freelance journalists, mm. well, if you're submitting your piece to a right-wing paper, you'll write with a right-wing slant if you want it published and you want to get paid. Mm-hmm. If you're submitting to a left-wing, the same applies. Yeah. If you are not freelance and you're working for a paper, then you're not going to get your work published or you're going to have problems with your superior if you write something yeah. that goes against the grain of the ethos of that paper. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the, working for the Murdoch papers, mm. you're not going to have a long career in there or a su- su- mm. successful one Maybe. if you write the wrong stuff. I'm just not convinced that you can divide uh, the media into right and left very well, neatly. Well, you could do it as pro-SCOMO or anti-SCOMO on this whole bushfire well, thing. You know, and when you call that right or left, there's definitely mm, different themes of yeah. pro or anti-SCOMO. When he's but what about the foreign media? Because they've so. been reporting on the bushfires as well. Yeah. So... I don't think they necessarily have any skin in the game. In which case, do you think they're, they're, uh, what you've seen of it, does it appear to be relatively neutral? I haven't read a lot of the foreign coverage, to be honest. Right. So I don't know. I, I, would ex- I can't make a comment on yeah, that. I would expect them to be relatively neutral because mm. they have no skin in the game. The, there, there was one, uh, the BBC, I think it was. Was it the BBC or a British independent channel interviewed... Uh, one of our backbenchers, and uh, they tore him apart, didn't they? Well, Craig Kelly did that. Yes, yeah. Piers Morgan interviewed him, yes. Mm. So, so how do you type Piers Morgan? Uh, well, traditionally he's a right-winger. Is he? I believe he's a conservative, well, Piers I Morgan. He's a conservative, yeah, see, I, I'm also uncomfortable yeah. with this idea mm. that conservatives are all right-wingers. I don't equate conservatism with right-wingedness necessarily. Some conservatives might, might be right-winged, might have a right, big, uh, heavy right wing. But uh, I don't think all conservatives are necessarily right wing. I think some conservatives tend to be closer to a classical liberal type than right wing. Libertarian. Not necessarily libertarian, mm-hmm. but, you know, con- you know, classical liberal. Anyway, let's discuss and see where we end up. Because really with the bushfire crisis and what's going on, I'm assuming most of our listeners in Australia are kind of up to speed with a lot of the, with a lot of the detail. But uh, It's been relentless, the coverage, hasn't it? Yeah. And as you'd expect, considering the extent of it. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, this is only January and they're, they're talking about a fire season that really should be picking up to this sort of level by the end of January, early February. Yeah. It's early January now and this yeah. started before Christmas. Yeah. So if you are reading The Australian or The Courier-Mail or other Murdoch um, papers, uh, here's the story that you're hearing, that we have bushfires all the time, this one is no different, or if it is, no one could have predicted it um, would happen, or if they could, no one could predict when it would happen, that Morrison took a holiday and everyone needs a holiday. He can't be expected to hold a hose. Other people are employed to do these things. And once it got really bad, he came back and he started sorting things out. And the failed handshakes were clumsy, but he was trying to console these people and uh, 
they were tired and upset and he didn't take it personally. He's a good guy that way. Uh, <laughs> he's provided lots of extra money and got the Defence Force involved and will be holding an inquiry as to what happened and how to do better in the future. Um, he had to uh, produce a government ad to explain what's being done so as to calm Australians and also to overcome the negative left-wing media who are misleading quiet Australians. Uh, if the latte-sipping greenies had allowed cold fires for hazard reduction, the fires would not have been so bad. And ultimately, fighting fires and its funding, it's a state government issue. And it's not in the federal government's wheelhouse. Also, these days there's lots of crazy arsonists, which is adding to the problem. Sure, the climate is changing, but ultimately Australia produces a very small amount of total greenhouse gas compared to, say, India or China. And even if we reduced our emissions to zero, it would not affect climate change and would not have prevented this fire. It's un-Australian to blame ScoMo for something he couldn't control. It's un-Australian to criticise the efforts of our brave firefighters. That is the story you get from the Murdoch media. So I think, Trevor... Come across any criticism of the firefighters? No, no, uh, no. But should we be criticising firefighters? No, uh, no. But the, oh, I probably threw that last one in as an extra. But, okay. Um, but that's the kind of thing that you would get from that. So, side are of you politics. saying that the Murdoch publications are only good for lighting barbecues or, <laughs> or more fires? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah. So. Of course, you know, my Facebook feed is full of more of the left-wing stuff. Um, and, and mine was just crammed with what an idiot ScoMo is, and yeah. particularly when the handshake stuff happened. And that if was you, clumsy, wasn't if, it? If you're listening from overseas and you're not aware of it, essentially ScoMo came back to Australia from his Hawaiian holiday, went out into the field to get some pictures or video footage of him meeting and greeting. Looking sympathetic. Went up to a pregnant woman and uh, she did not hold out her hand. He held out his. She kept it by her side and he, um, she said, I don't want to hold your hand unless you're going to promise more money for the firefighters. And he reached down, grabbed her hand and forcibly shook it that she didn't want to. Mm. And then when she started complaining, he quickly dropped it, walked away. And turned his back on her and just walked away. I thought to me that was the rude bit. And one of his other minders manhandled her and told her to shush, shush. And then a short time later, he's at another shed where a firefighter's exhausted sitting down and he goes to, puts his hand out. The firefighter does not respond. No. And he says, I don't want to shake your hand. He reaches down anyway, grabs his hand and shakes his hand. And, and the, my guy made it clear he didn't want to be shaking his hand. And mm. Scamo skunks off again. It was the most cringeworthy scene. Mm. It's the most awful PR that you'd... It was just terrible. I was listening to two grumpy hacks before I came over here tonight. They're a, can't remember their names, a couple of old journalists that just get together and do this sort of podcast once a week. And both of them said they remember um, the Ash Wednesday fires when Malcolm Fraser was Prime Minister and they remember Bob Hawke over the Newcastle earthquake and they also remember John Howard over the killings in Port Arthur Mm. and he said out of those three examples not one of them put a foot wrong Mm. but he said with ScoMo you can write the book on what he's done wrong Mm. in in the way he's handled this whole bushfire Mm. crisis, it's been appalling Yeah, 
and and normally a crisis is good for politicians. Mm. Normally a flood or a hurricane, yeah. you can turn up, you can look concerned, you can promise some emergency funding mm. and everybody thinks you're a great guy. But his problem is that everyone is quite rightly making connections to climate change and his government's policies <laughs> uh, that are totally uh, against doing anything of any meaning and are saying, well, you know, what you're doing is just going to cause more and more of this to happen. And um, so he's, he's connected to this disaster, whereas ordinarily with a cyclone or a flood, uh, the politicians aren't connected with causing it in the first place. Mm. So that's part I of mean, I, th- I think it's a little bit... It's a little bit cruel to blame ScoMo mm. for climate change. Climate change has been building ever since the dawn of the. That's the point I would make. Uh, of the yeah. burning of coal. Yeah, you can't hold him personally responsible. No. But the fact that he's been sitting on his hands. For, doing nothing. For, for years. Well, him, him and his party have been sitting on their hands for years when they, they could have been putting into place at least a decent uh, energy policy, mm. you know, which they haven't mm. done at all. Mm. So I told you the story that you'd read in the Australian or the Murdoch press, but mm. if you're reading The Guardian or the ABC or other left-wing media, mm. the story you would be getting would be something like, this fire is really bad, it could have been predicted, mm. it was predicted, and the government was told to prepare for a catastrophe and it did nothing. Mm. Um, it was suggested that exhausted firefighters who had been spending weeks fighting fires should be financially compensated, and ScoMo said no, that they enjoyed being out there. And then he backtracked on that, didn't mm. he? On the 12th of December, ScoMo declared it was a, natural, a national disaster, and three days later he went on a holiday to Hawaii. So the country was now being led by Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack, who had weeks earlier dismissed concerns about the links between fires and climate change as, quote, the ravings of some pure, enlightened and woke capital city greenies. Um, after two firefighters died, ScoMo apologised for taking a holiday, said he'd come back. He still took two days to come back after saying, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll be back. Still took another two days. Yeah, I know it took him two days to come back, but there might not have been available seats on the commercial airlines that he was flying. Did he fly yeah. commercial? He flew commercial. Oh, okay. Anyway, I've mentioned about the handshake business. Um, uh, he uh, subsequently ordered the Army Reserve to get involved, but incredibly didn't the, uh, tell, that didn't tell the, um, the Emergency Services Commissioner Fitzsimmons and Fitzsimmons said the first he knew about it was when he read it in the media. Mm. Um, so he's got 3,000 Army Reservists landing on his doorstep and, and he wasn't told about it, wasn't consulted by ScoMo. And ScoMo's his whole shtick is we're consulting with our stakeholders, we're working closely with our partners, we're liaising with our response teams, all this bullshit terminology. Exactly. And meanwhile, he's just in some room with his mind is going, what's the next thing I should do? Oh, I'll just announce this and kaboom, puts it out there. Yeah, so he's he's sent 3,000 reservists into the fire front and the guy that's in charge of the fire front didn't know they were coming and he didn't know what to do with them. Mm. Desperate damage control, isn't it? Yep. To deflect attention from himself, he tried to spin a story that the New South Wales government had refused Defence Force assistance. He authorised a cheesy government television ad to paint a picture he was in control and spending lots of money and doing lots of coordinating, Mm. when in reality the opposite is true. And um, he's now doing things that, you know, really should have been done six months ago, not in the middle of a disaster. Mm. And he's refusing to acknowledge that his government policies on fossil fuels 
make these kinds of events more likely in future and paints a false picture of us as being a model citizen. So that's the the sort of the two different stories that you'll get, depending. And so, dear listener, when you're reading your Facebook feed, when you're reading your media, if it's left-leaning, just bear in mind that your conservative Uncle Tony is getting a completely different picture from his Facebook feed and his uh, news sources. And it's not all over because the left or the Labor Party might think it's over for ScoMo now. Come the next election, everyone's going to remember this. They're going to forget it. But A, most of them, a lot of them haven't heard it. They've heard the first story, not the second. And B, they'll forget it anyway. And C, even if they remember it, they'll think, what's best in my interest for my hip pocket? Who's the better manager of the economy? I really don't care about that other stuff. I've forgotten about the fires. I donated 200 bucks. I'm done and dusted with that. Now, who's going to... um, Who's going to reduce tax uh, and manage, you know, who in my humble opinion is going to run the economy? So That's the way it always is. Yeah. So that's what we're looking at. So so anyway, I thought we'd run through some of the arguments so that you, when you are – because I have in mind I had a – had a uh, you know, at Christmas time you come across people that you might normally see during the year, just <laughs> different, you know, relatives or mm-hmm. friends that you might not normally see. Uncle so, Tony. And I'm thinking of an Uncle Tony because I came across a friend who's called Tony who is definitely very right-wing – and, of course, we've always had right-wing Tony. Um, and so I'm just going to dub the sort of Uncle Tony character as, as your conservative um, friend, uncle, who reads The Australian and has these typical conservative views. So some arguments to give in response when you're sitting around the table with Uncle Tony at some point. So uh, the whole point about this is... The government has been warned that this was going to happen. So we've got a CSIRO report from 2009, 11 years ago. And in the report, it said, it modelled climate projections showing that much of South Australia may become warmer and drier. This modelling suggests that by 2020, extreme fire danger days in southeastern Australia may occur 5 to 65% more often than at present. When was, was that report? 2009. Hmm. So this is the sort of stuff that the government has hmm. and they've been warned about. And uh, there's other stuff in that report. I've got links to all this, dear listener. But more importantly, uh, there's a guy called Greg Mullins and he's been interviewed by the ABC and he's also written a number of things. And uh, he's a retired... Um, Let me see if I've got his description. Um, He's the former Fire and Rescue New South Wales Commissioner. So he's been fighting fires and involved in it for over 40 years at a very senior position. Since Adam was a boy. He knows shit about fighting fires. And I've got some recordings of what he had to say about... So he formed a group with about 20 other retired emergency service senior people, people like him from all states senior people in charge of state response to emergency services. All of them retired, about 20 of them. And he contacted, wrote to Morrison in April saying, we've got a really big problem coming up in uh, this fire season coming up. You must do something. I've got these 20 people, a delegation of about four of us, and want to meet with you, want to meet with other relevant ministers because it's urgent that we do things. There is a disaster happening few months you know months go by no response response. Mm. so uh 
Um, so when people say, oh, Morrison basically couldn't have predicted it, now he's doing everything he can, the answer is he was told about it and at a time when he could have done something, he did nothing. So one of those things in particular would be um, aircraft for water bombing. They're very useful and quite effective apparently. Indeed. So let me play a little bit of what um, Mullins had to say on the ABC. Have you ever seen a situation this serious? No. Um, I was in Batemans Bay on New Year's Eve in charge of an RFS crew and uh, I'm still shocked. I've I've been fighting fires for 47 years. been through the Blue Mountains fires multiple times, 1977, 1994, 2002, um, where I live in the northern beaches, 1979, 1994. I've fought fires in the US. Um, this is what 28 or 29 other foreign emergency chiefs, former chiefs, and I tried to warn the Prime Minister about back in April and May, and we weren't listened to. What could he have done? A lot. Now, you see the military, if you look back, um, we made a number of suggestions to use the military in a more organised and less ad hoc fashion. The answer was, that's a stupid idea. Um, And they misquoted what we'd said and said, look, everybody knows soldiers can't fight fires, but then eventually they were forced into using the ADF. We said that there needed to be more funding for firefighting aircraft. He said, that's a stupid idea. They've got enough. The the current chiefs are telling me they've got enough, which wasn't true, because they'd put in a detailed business case pleading for more funding two years ago, which is still sitting on the desk in Canberra, was forced to put in another $11 million, which is too little, too late. So the response to this... um, And, look, I, I have to say... I. I've got to watch what I say because I'm very tired. I've been at multiple fires. There was a bargo on the night when the two firefighter colleagues were killed. Um, I've been at Blackheath, I've been at Grafton, I've been at Howes Valley. I've been all around the state fighting fires and I'm getting pretty fatigued, so I have to watch what I say, but I'm angry about the Prime Minister's response. It reminds me of President Trump when there's multiple shootings saying it's nothing to do with guns. He won't talk about guns. We have to talk about climate change because our bushfire situation in Australia has changed forever. It's been a 20-year process. People in the business like me have watched it with horror, spoken to the Bureau of Meteorology, CSIRO and scientists and said, what the hell is going on? And they said, here it is, but we're not being listened to. So everything I hear from the government is, we're doing this, we're doing this, aren't we good, aren't we good? Yeah, too late guys. Um. Sorry, that was his credentials and his initial warning. Um, in the chat room, was says 5 to 65% is not very specific. In terms of the warning, so this is the CSIRO said that, um, that they may occur 5 to 65% more often than... Well, the point is, if you're told it's possible that they might be 65% more, then you have to assume that that might happen and you'd do something assume, about it. You'd have to, you'd have to and, make plans and, for 32.5%. Yes. Or also, you know, other things they said was, for example, that um, that landscape predicts that a 2% increase in mean annual temperature would increase fire intensity by 25%, increase the area burnt and halve the mean interval between fires and the ACT. So, you know, how specific can you be about what's going to happen? Uh, you know... 
you'd be crazy to narrow it down to a small number. But the point is a warning is given in writing 11 years ago. Warnings by guys like this as early as April, as recently as April, mm. saying we must have a meeting, we've got to do things. But no so, meeting, even no, no took meeting, months, let months, alone no action. Yeah, it took months and uh, I think we've got more about that later. So, um, so uh, and I've got a link to, uh, in the show notes, I've got the actual letter that was written saying that we've got an emergency coming and we need to do things urgently and can we have a meeting and he was fobbed off for way too long before anything could be done. So mm. so it's a really genuine criticism to say, too late, mm. you're told. Uh, yep. um, holidays. So can Morrison go on a holiday? Was that a, What's your feelings on him going on a holiday? It would have been a hell of a lot different had he taken his family up to the Gold Coast rather than Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I think had he been on the Gold Coast, he would have still been on home soil. Yep. He would have been able to get briefings and all that sort of stuff very quickly. But he was out of the country and that was not a good look to be out of the, the country. The were terrible. Like no. That. It would have been much easier, you're right, to say uh, I'm, uh, I'm here at a moment's notice instead yeah. of Hawaii where I can't get back for two days. Exactly. <laughs> you know, had he been on the Gold Coast, he could have been on, he could have been on mm. Jetstar or somewhere like that back down to Canberra real quickly. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. So uh, ordinarily... I was a little bit sympathetic at the beginning. When, Everyone when, needs a holiday, right? Yeah. And you've got <laughs> people who are employed to run emergency services. So we have these people in charge to do their job. Mm. And so ordinarily I would think they should do their job and the Prime Minister should stay out of it. But in the case of ScoMo... He declared it a national disaster. Mm-hmm. And, and then took off overseas. He always jumps in front of the camera and says, don't worry, everybody, I'm in charge. Mm. Well, if you're going to do in that, charge this time. then you own it. Mm. So if, he had, if he'd come out and said, we've got a bad summer ahead of us, I've got these people in charge, I'm going to say no more, you talk to them. Oh, by the way, if... If they ever, you know, ask them whether I'm giving them everything they want and if they ever tell you mm. I'm not, I'll be back. Yeah. And if you'd have done that, you could nick away for a week with sure. the kids on the Gold Coast, as you're saying. Yeah. But when you come out and you say, don't worry, everybody, I'm in charge, I've got this covered, mm. and then you nick off, well, mm. you've owned it, I'm afraid. So um, it's interesting. Uh, Bernard Keane in Crikey said it was okay for him to go away. So, uh, well, the other thing is when that Christine Nixon, who was the Victorian police chief, was absent during yeah, bushfires, that was fucking uh, there's recordings of Morrison being interviewed at the time saying that she made a bad judgment call. Yeah. So if he's prepared to say that about somebody else... But, and all she did, she went out to dinner. That's all she did. I was just yeah. going to say that. All she, she went did, out to dinner. But it was at the height of the crisis and she went out for dinner rather than being in the you know, control room or wherever they stationed themselves. Well, there's a whole... You know, she was so high up that everything was all just going to go on without her, so she went out to dinner. What's the big deal? Okay. So a big furor, we'd have to agree, about Scott Morrison going on a holiday, like across the papers. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I find it incredible. The week after that, the New South Wales Emergency Services Minister, David Elliott, (laughs) left the country for a trip to the UK and France for a holiday. He's the New South Wales Emergency Services Minister. And after all that hullabaloo about Morrison, mm. says, I'm out, I'm on a holiday. Mm. And he said... Um, what do they call that, a tin ear? He said, quote, bushfire-affected communities and firefighters are always at the front of my mind during this difficult time. I'll continue to re- receive two briefings each day 
from the Rural Fire Service Commissioner. This is the calibre of... This is... Dear listener, this is when politicians know that they don't have to do anything to keep you happy. They just... That's just arrogance to the extreme. And he but, went to Europe, didn't he? Yeah. Which Cons- is even further away than Hawaii, isn't it? Uh, it is, yeah. Yeah. Considering the, the whole hullabaloo over ScoMo, wouldn't you think as the emergency services oh. minister you'd quietly cancel your trip? Wouldn't you think? You, you would think. But when he came back, he said, my absence over the last week was inexcusable. Did he? Yeah, after his holiday. <laughs> so. Well, he should have said it before he left. He should have called a, a press conference and said, look... My behaviour is going to be inexcusable. I'm leaving on a trip to Europe. Mm. And as Bronwyn in the chat room says, and the Defence Minister went to Bali at about the same time and she even tweeted fire updates from Bali, trying to look as if she was still in Australia. Yeah, Defence is They're kind treating of us for mugs. No, for the tents. But clearly the Defence were going to be called in mm. to assist in this fire. Mm. Clearly that was on the cards. Yeah, I suppose. They're treating us like mugs. It's, it's an appalling display. But we're not mugs, are we? Well, we are if we accept it. And what are we going to do about it? More about that later in the, in the show. So, uh, Also, just getting back to Elliot, so the New South Wales one, uh, he's had a controversial year because he's the one who said he would happily allow for his own children to be strip-searched and pulled over. Um, uh, Gosh. And he pulled over a pea plater and told the youth that he worked for the cops. Like, he's... That's the calibre of guy who is the New South Wales Emergency Services Minister. So, right. Um, Albanese, Labor leader, suggested compensation for volunteers. Um, Morrison was dismissive at first, but later announced payments of up to $6,000. Gentlemen, should voluntary firefighters be paid or are they doing it for the love and we, 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 it, wanna, we well, wouldn't want to professionalise it? I don't it. think... It wasn't a salary. It was compensation, it was compensation for, for lost the, Yeah, yes. I understand that. But I think that um, if the fire season is going to get longer and that sort of thing is going to be more intense, mm. I think it's not unreasonable that we, ex- mm. that we start paying these blokes to be out on the fire lines. Now, that doesn't mean that we should pay them to train and that sort of thing. But when they go out on active duty in a fire situation, I don't think it's unreasonable to pay them. I don't either. No, I don't think anybody would. Mm. Except... Scomo. And the New South Wales Rural Fire Service Commissioner, Shane Fitzsimmons, who initially rejected calls for his members to be compensated for their work in the ongoing bushfire crisis, <laughs> saying it would undermine the spirit of volunteerism underpinning the RFS. Yeah, it, well, it's just, that's a yes. load of shit. Would it undermine volunteerism? This is think? the Rural Fire Service Commissioner, Shane Fitzsimmons. He, he's a, clearly on drugs or something like that. That makes no sense whatsoever. Okay, they started out as a volunteer organisation. If you go back far enough, probably the professional firefighters were a volunteer organisation. You've got to look at the situation we're faced with in this country, and that is that with climate change, our fire, fire season is going to get longer and more ferocious, mm. and we've got to get more volunteers out there. We've got to get more people out there on the front Maybe lines. Maybe more professionals. Well, I don't know. I don't think you want to professionalise it, but I do believe that they should be paid when they go out there and face the fires. Yeah, definitely. If, if it's an ongoing fire where they're more than just a day or two, then it should kick in with a thing to say, here's compensation so you can keep going, because it would cost people a lot of money. What's the arrangement with uh, foreign fi- firefighters coming Well, here? they get paid, but they 
get paid by our government, I would imagine. Yeah, but like, you're probably right. So a foreign fight, a foreign firefighter is probably over. being paid. Yeah, mm. the Americans and Canadians yeah. and New Zealanders, they'd be getting some yeah. compensation, wouldn't they? Yeah. One would have thought so. Mm. They wouldn't be doing it for love. Mm. Anyway, it seems eminently sensible that these people should be paid when it's a long, ongoing fire at least. So mm. I can't believe that that was a difficult decision. Mm. This this comes down to Scamo has an obsession with his budget so surplus. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah, he's protecting the budget surplus, isn't well, like, he? Yep, because clearly if you spend money on this sort of thing, you're not going to be criticised. Like... What it would be such an easy decision to say, yeah, it's fair enough. Let's let's pay them. That uh, was the but, other but thing. He's got a surplus that he wants to be standing in Parliament at some point and say, "Ta-da, we've got our budget surplus." That's what he's about. That's the whole point that was made by the two grumpy acts this afternoon. I was listening to. They were saying that, um, oh, that Scamo is so religiously wedded to his surplus. Mm that he has announced this fire recovery thing that he said is going to be $3 billion over three years. And um, they made the point that the number, the amount of federal government funds that flew into Queensland after our 2011 floods were $10 billion. Now, So he's looking a bit cheap. He's looking incredibly cheap. So I don't think that he's going to get away. I don't think he's going to be delivering a surplus next year. Mm. We'll see. Right. Fireworks displays. So, come New Year's, uh, there's, they've been planned for ages, and obviously Sydney. Let's too. take Sydney for example, with the Sydney Harbour. Mm. Uh, to say shrouded in smoke is an understatement. Like it was, That's true. It was unbelievably um, smoky down there. Yeah, for for several weeks. Yes, and yeah. a lot of people said, "Well, the fireworks display should be cancelled because of the disaster." Does does anyone here agree with that? No, no, I don't. No. Right. I mean, what better place to let off fireworks than over Sydney Harbour? Mm. You know, they fall the water into, into water. Mm. Yeah. Clearly, in a situation where you're, let's just assume there's no risk of creating a fire. Mm. Very uh, little, I would Then think. we're really just talking about the ethical it's and aesthetic considerations of, of one group of people celebrating while another group mm. of people is having a hard time. And... You know, one of the things we do on this, dear listener, when we're talking about ethical and moral dilemmas is we say, all right, if you're in favour of uh, the, the fireworks being cancelled, then what's the general rule that you would write that is applicable to this situation? And um, that, you know, is it that in a case of an emergency that where there's a disaster happening, then nobody's allowed to have any celebrations anywhere in Australia. Is, is that what we're saying? Mm. And, uh, or, and I guess they'd say, well, no, that doesn't mean not any celebration, but we just don't like the idea of fire celebrations mm. when there's a fire disaster. So symbolic sort of connection, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. But, okay, well, does that mean, for example, if there was a, a, a fountain display which there are sometimes on rivers and things, like uh, at, in Brisbane they have it at different times um, with different fountains and lights shooting. Laser displays and yeah, things yeah, like fountains that. fountains and lasers. Mm. Do we not have that during a flood? Is, is, that, is that bad taste? Because of water. A, exactly. <laughs> you know, is that what you're saying? Because it's a kind of an equivalent situation. Is it the fact that you can't use as a tool for your enjoyment the mm. thing that's causing a problem for somewhere else? <laughs> yeah. And you start to see the ridiculousness mm. of it. Like... 
communities still have to have fun. And I was down the Gold Coast. Um, and Prime Ministers still have to have holidays. Indeed. But they should have had his holiday on the Gold Coast, not Hawaii. Indeed. I was down the Gold Coast to Coolangatta and Uh there was a fireworks display on the beach there. And I have to say, it was a lovely atmosphere where there was just hundreds of families out on picnic blankets and a lovely grassy lawn area fronting the beach, kids running around everywhere, little marquees and things people set up. And they obviously had a great time. Mm. And as a community... We don't get together often enough. Mm. Like, there's very limited things. Anzac Day, fireworks, the occasional festival like in Brisbane, I'm thinking of River Fire and other things. But there's Mm. not that many times when we actually get Mm. together. And And there's something to be said for that, isn't there? Indeed. Mm. It's important as a community that we get together. So, and, And also, just getting back to Sydney, you know, the people who are in favour of cancelling fireworks have never had a small business, I bet you, because mm. if you're running a restaurant or a river cruise or you work in one, like there's a lot of money that people are relying on Hotels. in terms of their business. Um, huge, and, huge profits flow from that in Sydney yeah, that, around that time that's of right. year. That's right. That make their way for ordinary people. Yeah. It's not just the top end. And, that's um, true. People make commitments. So, you know, one year we went on a... Uh, a a sort of a New Year's Eve thing at Sydney Harbour where you're on a big boat. It was like mm-hmm. a ferry type thing and mm-hmm. um, it was great. But you'd be really pissed if you'd booked that, <laughs> flights and everything, and couldn't do it. And then people then wouldn't do it in future years because they'd go, well, I'm not going to book because it might be cancelled. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the whole range of reasons why that was not a good idea. So and if anyone disagrees, give us your opinions. But it, yeah. And the other thing too that I heard was that they said that the money should be redirected. But the money's already been spent. It's spent it months ago. Yes, you can't yeah. redirect money that's already spent. Indeed, no. yeah. So, um, oh, there was a thing where the, the media was kicked out of the bigger valley at one stage, but then they were told, oh, you're actually allowed in so you can stay. So Why they, were they kicked out of the bigger valley? Uh, just police came along and told some journalists, you've got to go. And oh, because of the fire threat? Well, or was it because they weren't happy with the poor um, PR stuff that ScoMo was getting and didn't want people... Filming it. So, right, the other argument that's come up is um, blame the Greens for the lack of hazard reduction burning. Yeah, and this is a complete load of garbage, actually. And I am not a good friend of the Greens. I've said it before. The Greens are a pack of lunatics and they are also the ones that are responsible for us not having any sort of climate reduc- any climate change mm, mitigation carbon, because they... Carbon price. Exactly. Mm. They knocked it on the head and they backed Julia Gillard into a corner where she had no choice but to bring in a carbon tax. Tony Abbott came in, said, axe attacks, axe attacks. Where where are we now? Ten years later, nothing's happened. Mm. It's a decade lost, really. Mm. Mm. Sorry, I'll get off my high horse. You're right. Oh, in the chat room, Alison says hello from a Chinese restaurant in Tasmania. Good on you, Alison. <laughs> <laughs> That's a commitment. So when it comes to the hazard reduction burning, so this is not back burning. This is like uh, during the cool yeah, months. Systematic reduction of where you, the where fuel you, load. Yeah. yeah, so you run a fire through or you, allow a fi- you start a fire mm. on the basis that it'll just basically burn the mm. undergrowth and mm. won't actually... And uh, if the atmospheric conditions are favourable... Yes. It, doesn't sort of get away from you and cause havoc. Yeah. So I've got links to different articles here and I've even got audio from Mullins again, but I'll just leave it, I think. But basically what they say is that it's because it's been so dry and so hot, it's really risky. Very dangerous. To run those And fires. in fact, sometimes when they're doing them, they, they 
do get away they from They do them. get out yeah. of control. It's not at all unusual, is it? Yeah. So, so the weather conditions are such that it's now really tricky to find a window of opportunity to mm. actually do it. The Greens, their policy is to do it when you can. Mm. So, and the idea that the Greens are somehow in charge of uh, rural fire services and telling them what to do. It's complete it's, bullshit. It's complete but the, the criticism wasn't so much aimed at the Greens party, but Greenies, in other words, people who, when the local council announced that they're going to do some, you know, hazard reduction, some people say, oh, don't burn the bush. You might, you know, kill some animals and you, you're upsetting the natural balance. So I think it was more aimed at that general sort of type who doesn't want any interference or any sort of human uh, you know, interference in, in the natural state. Green, green sympathisers yes, rather than the Greens party. I think so. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, so that's the argument with hazard reduction, um, a complete furphy. Mm. Uh, and there was another article, I think Ross sent me an article and I didn't get a chance to read it properly, but it was kind of saying it's not that simple. It's a really complicated procedure. And when you actually, when you clear the undergrowth, if the canopy also deteriorates, then the undergrowth grows back quite strongly and then it, then it dries away again. In a, in a sense, you can almost increase the amount of undergrowth unless you're doing it every year. Mm. And the problem is it's really hard to mm. do it every year yeah. because the conditions are just not necessarily right. So... Uh, and so, it's a huge area to do. Mm, you yeah. know, we pro- they probably don't have the personnel to systematically do that mm. everywhere, every year. Mm. Right. Um, what's another one? Oh, the other argument is it's a state government issue. Firefighting is a state government issue. The Commonwealth isn't really involved in that. That was fine before ScoMo tried to hog the limelight on it. You know? Well, when he when he went in there and became a complete media tart on the whole thing right back in September, then he owned it. I agree with Trevor. Hmm. If well, you buy it, you own it. Well, it's more than that. What you say? It's, I thought it was if you break it, you own it. Well, he bought it. Yeah. Well, he, and he broke it. <laughs> <laughs> he did. It, you know, to say firefighting is a state government issue. Well, okay. So the f- different fire services are state government, they but are. when it comes to money. States and the Commonwealth have come to an arrangement which, uh, well, dear listener, even going further back than that, we've got a constitution. So the constitution said, when all the states got together and they said, we need a federal government, they said, okay, here's a series of topics that the federal government is responsible for. Mm. And they got the obvious things like making money and currency, Mm. the defence force. uh, Immigration. Things like that. Mm. Uh, Everything else stays with the states. So things like fire services, education. Hospitals stay with the state. Emergency services generally. Yep. But what also happened over time is that the states said to the Commonwealth, well, we'll let you levy income tax. You're going to be the guys who collect the money and you're going to distribute it to us Mm. to perform our jobs. Mm. So when it comes to money for firefighting, the states can't really generate money. They've got a limited amount of payroll tax and some stuff from royalties and stuff Stamp like that. So, that sort of so essentially the federal government is responsible for getting money and distributing it. So, you know, under the constitution and whatnot, technically the government, the federal government really should have nothing to do with education, but they dole out all the education money Indeed. and 
you know, we've got school chaplains in our state school yeah, system. Funded by the federal which, government. Which is nothing to do with the federal government, you would think. So when they want to get involved in an issue, they can yeah. because they hold the purse strings. Right. So they can say, here's some money and here's the conditions under which we're giving it to you. Mm. So, um, so when it comes to the money that's required for aircraft and helicopters that can carry water, it's the, it's, it is the federal government. It's not the state government. It is a federal government issue because they're the ones with the money. So factually, it's correct to say it's a state government issue, but... But realistically, it's a federal government issue because of the way the system works. Mm. There's your answer for Uncle Tony if that one comes up. Uh, and also, clearly these fires are crossing state boundaries. Defence is involved. Uh, it, this requires a coordinated approach from the central authority yep. and not a bunch of states operating their own rock shows. Right. Um, he ran an ad... Which was so blatantly self-promotional. I hadn't seen it. Was what, it that bad? Was it? Ah, oh, it was terrible. I watched it once, and it was pretty uh, forgettable. Did it make a big impression on you? Only in that it was so poorly thought out, poorly executed. Yeah. And, and who paid for it? Did we pay for it, or did, did the Liberal Party pay for it? Of course, we it? paid for it. And it had this cheesy elevator music going on sort of in the background. So, so it was yeah. run as an ad by the Australian government rather yeah. than the Australian Liberal Party, yes. which is really where it came from. Yeah. So uh, the shovel suggested that they should run a second ad to apologise for the first ad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so that's with the ads. Um, okay. I mentioned before about the different stories that you're getting from... Um, from the Murdoch press as opposed to the other press. And I know 12th Man, this is going to be my, ch- this is my challenge for the year mm-hmm. is to convince you of, of of the way the media is slanting things and how that's actually having an effect on I've public I've never opinion. doubted that the, ma- the media slant things. Yeah, and, and, just, and the effect it's having on people. Mm, I just think it's a little bit difficult to measure. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. A little difficult to measure the degree to which it sways people's yep. thinking on various issues. I think... Well, you only have to see the last federal election as an example of that. Yeah, but we all know swinging voters are the key in elections, aren't they? Yeah, but they are. The majority of people are tribal. You Absolutely, know? They, they are. But you've got this whole... You know, that's where all that money is spent. It's on the middle. Mm. And Murdoch went after that middle voter to try and switch them over to the Tory as, side. As he does. Yeah. Mm. Right. Um, but what I was going to say, back, getting back to Murdoch and his press, is if I was in rural areas that had been wiped out by this fire yeah. and I'm reading The Australian and how they're saying, well, this is just another fire and, mm. you know, you can't blame ScoMo or anybody. That's life. I'd be furious. Like, I'd be livid with the Murdoch press. It'll be interesting to see how the people who have to rebuild their homes and their lives, will react. Well, here's what I'm suggesting, that uh, Liverpool had a situation Mm. where um, after the Hillsborough disaster in 1989, in which 96 Liverpool fans were crushed to death in overcrowding, Mm. the Murdoch-owned newspaper printed pages of false claims that not only blamed Liverpool fans for the disaster but accused them of urinating on police officers and other fans and beating up officers attempting CPR and pickpocketing the dead. And all of those reports have been proven to be a fabrication. Oh. 
So Liverpudlians? 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 Furious. They, they boycott the oh, Murdoch they? press. So, um, so if you go into Liverpool, you cannot buy The Sun in a news agency or anywhere. Mm. And but- the taxis have... Anti Sun messages on them, wow. so the the Sun newspaper is not sold in Liverpool. The, as oh. a community, they've, they've said it. you're oh, not really? having that here. Oh. And I think if a shop was to put a stand of papers there, they'd soon be told, "I'm not buying your oranges, apples, and milk unless you get rid of that stand." Mm. So, dear listener, if you're out there, create a meme suggesting that these bushfire towns boycott. The Murdoch Press when they rebuild, are, are I think they should of do that. Censorship, Trevor. Uh, I'm I'm in favour of action of boycotting. Mm. Uh, it's voluntary. It is. And I. But I, what I, about I, telling a shopkeeper if you carry this, if you carry any newspapers from the Murdoch Press, I won't buy anything from your shop. So yeah, not just boycotting. That's, that's, just, that's choice. That's, As a libertarian, you should be happy with with a with a private individual says exactly. I'm not going to give you my business mm-hmm. because. Um, you're using too much plastic. You're um, yeah, but you're the shopkeeper. You what are, about the mixed business shopkeeper in a country town? I mean, he he isn't necessarily endorsing what's in any of the newspapers. He's just carrying he's carrying goods the newspaper. to sell to he's, the general public, he's, and the public and says we're not going to buy that good. Yes, don't stock the, it. But if the don't public says it. don't stock that paper or we won't buy anything from your shop, I think that's a step too far. I don't really? think it's a yeah. step too far I think, at all. I think it's, a it's fair enough for people to boycott the publication and say we're not going to buy that publication. But to tell a shopkeeper, if you, ca- if you carry that in your shop, we, we're not going to buy anything, is, is a little bit drastic. No, I don't think that's drastic at all. I, I, think, think, I, think, I think you failed to understand how a boycott action. works. Yeah. No, no. A boycott no. works by... No, you boycott the product. You boycott the company. <laughs> Yeah, the company product is one of the items that that shopkeeper is using to sell to make money. Now, it's only a very small minor portion of his sales that he's making out of that boycott. So if you don't boycott everything that he's trying to sell no, you, then you can't get, you can't get no, your message across. you boycott across. the product. Help you us out in the boy- chat room. Give us, some, you give us your thoughts in the, the chat room the small on this one, Bronwyn. <laughs> you, you want to bankrupt the small business person. No, just, I mean, what, just, if, what, what if, you, if you don't like Kellogg's? What if you think Kellogg's... Products are complete garbage, and you say to the shopkeeper, and you convince all your your friends and neighbours, let's not buy anything from that shop because they stock Kellogg's. Just as an example, I'm not saying Kellogg's is necessarily a bad thing. Let's sanitarium then, as an example, or sanitarium, or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, What if they have an objection to sanitarium not paying income tax? I don't have a problem with that. And you you say to the shopkeeper, if you stock sanitarium products. You, you, I'm you're not, not going to buy anything from you, your shop. You're not, it's not a threat. It's simply saying, I've, no, because you're saying, I've got an ethical position. Um, I don't agree with this particular product. So mm. just letting you know, if you stock it, I'm not going to uh, frequently shop. I'm not going to buy that product. Or I, I'm going to do everything I can to buy stuff from elsewhere as much as I can. Mm. Uh, you're a butcher with halal meat. I really yeah. disagree with the idea of, of killing animals without proper anaesthetic, for example, or, or do it quickly, meat. then if you're, gonna, if you're the sort of butcher who's happy to do that, I'm not going to do business with you. So there's a, whole, mm. um, there's a whole range of reasonable reasons why somebody could say to a shopkeeper, 
Just letting you know, if that's how you're conducting your business, it's like I've been learning what about... Book, what about a bookshop? It's, it's like, if, it's like would I've you been, boycott the bookshop if they carried Bibles? Can I give you another example? Um, I've been hearing about shops now that have been in trouble for underpaying their staff. Yes. Right? Yes. So, and one of them, I'm not real sure if... I won't name it, but because I'm not entirely sure that they're one of them, mm. but I, I think they are. And when I was down the Gold Coast recently, normally I would have a burger at this establishment, mm-hmm. not McDonald's, thank you. It was a more premium no. brand of burger. <laughs> I mean, give me some credit. But There I, is something I, more premium I, than yeah, McDonald's. Indeed there is. And I thought, eh, I'm going to give them a miss if that's... Okay. So there's a whole range of reasons why you could legitimately say... But that's a business that specialises in one particular line of, of uh, merchandise. And you know what? The shopkeeper might be able to say, stuff you, I'm putting the Australian in, and if you want milk, you're going to have to get it from me. And a person might just have to buy it anyway. But uh, consumers have um, the ability to... Um, but to, what about to a bookshop? What about called, my example of a bookshop? Yeah, but Paul, it's called consumer sovereignty. For a reason. Yes, but, the but what about the sovereign. bookshop? Come on. What about the bookshop? Yeah. You, you think like there's some really, really terrible, questionable publication, like a book about um, why, why we shouldn't vaccinate our children or yeah. something. And the, book, the bookshop says, well, it's just another publication. We're going to stock it. And you say, yeah. if you stock that book, I'm not going to buy anything from your shop ever again. Agree. And what happens is if my argument is really poor then I'm the only one who's not going to do it and the bookshop has nothing to worry about. But if my argument is legitimate and has some substance and I can convince a number of other people, then the bookshop does have something to worry about. So Ah. it depends on the strength of the argument. If it's a nonsense argument that nobody's going to follow, then I'm wasting my time. Mm. They're not going to worry about me. And I'm simply saying that I think Victorians and New South Wales, rural communities especially... Mm who have been um, sold shit from this Murdoch press Mm. and who are continuing to spin lies that are going to make sure that this happens again Mm. and again in the future should say, I'm not having anything to do with that. So, I I would back not buying the product, not buying the Murdoch publications or subscribing to them online or anything. I think that would be more than reasonable Mm. and legitimate. Okay. There you go, dear listener. We'll revisit that issue down the track because I think a few of those examples might have swayed you a little bit. But, you know, when we're talking about the wage one... Have you ever boycotted, I mean, apart from the hamburger shop? Have I ever boycotted a business? Yeah. Look, for example, if a business refused to supply, uh, like a pharmacy, we're going to have issues Mm -hmm. coming up because of this religious discrimination bill, we're going to have businesses that refuse to supply, uh, for example, contraceptives, contraceptives and condoms, possibly. because of religious reasons, yeah. right? Mm. And if a pharmacist is refusing that and I need a mm. codrill cold and flu tablet, mm. I'm going to buy it somewhere else. And I'm going to tell that pharmacist, listen, nutbag, because of your crazy religious yeah. views and refusing to provide uh, a service that... Uh, everyone needs. I'm boycotting now. Would you boycott a pharmacy if you knew that it was refusing to supply oh, good condoms and contraceptives? It's a good question because there are a lot of pharmacies around, so we have a lot of choice. Yeah. Now, the example yeah. I'm thinking of some years ago. I went, can, hang on, just don't yeah. go beyond that one. All the right. pharmacy one. The pharmacy one. And and think about again rural communities where there might only be, you know, limited 
services available. This is the whole point of these guys mm. is, is that you've got rural communities who if your chemist doesn't have it, you might have to travel 50K to get Indeed. it. Now, would you boycott that pharmacy and get your stuff from the other one 50K down the road because of... Um, it's a good question. Yeah, I think yeah. I've got you on that one. You might have. There we go, dear listener. But, um, it didn't take long. Because, <laughs> I mean, if... If, if, if the pharmacist was taking a kind of religious ethical position and, you know, refusing to stock certain medications like morning after pill or contraceptives or whatever, yep. yeah, I suppose it w- I would have a problem with the pharmacist personally. Yep. You know what I mean? So that would be more of a personal issue than a product issue. Uh, Actually, uh, ZBL91 says the Iron Fist boycotts a brand of beer. That's true. I boycott uh, Coopers as much as possible because, because of their because affiliation a, with some religious yeah, group. Indeed, I was thinking of a case some years ago when I was reading about Shell Oil Company, um, in basically supporting a very corrupt regime in an African country where they had oil extraction uh, interests, and basically that the government was executing people who were protesting or objecting or bringing attention, the world's attention to the, you know, the, the sheer corruption and the environmental damage that was being done by Shell's extraction industries. Now, for several years, I avoided buying petrol from Shell stations, okay. but I had a lot of other options. You know, it was easy. Yeah. But then, you know, some years down the track, I realised basically they all do shitty things, you know. Indeed. So I thought it, it was, seemed kind of empty and meaningless at the time. You yeah. Know? But it's important when it comes to small communities. And Liverpool is a great example. They mm. actually boycott the yeah, Sun Paper. It is an I interesting think, case. I, I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. Um, Dyer Strait says, I boycotted a physiotherapist because he suggested acupuncture to me. I considered him to be not using the scientific method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, right. Um, okay. So that was on uh, boycotts. Please, somebody... You know, do a meme or something that might go viral and start that one. I really think it could take off if somebody was able to create the right meme for that one. Mm. All in all, then the next question is, well, what would Labor have done? I mean, it's all this <laughs> about, you know, what would this, this is what we would have come down to mm. is, okay, ScoMo was terrible, mm. performed terribly, but Uncle Tony would say, well, what would Labor have done? It would have been the same mess even if they were in government. What would you say? What would you say, Scott? I, I, I would say ten years ago, if they'd got that carbon price through, was was it, was it a carbon price? It or was just, a carbon price through ten years ago. But the if whole, they'd got that established, yeah, and Australia, Tony Australia's carbon emissions would be a lot lower. But because Australia is only responsible for one point something percent mm. of the carbon emissions of the world. Yeah. Even if we went zero emissions tomorrow, we're going to have bugger all impact it on the would global be climate. Of symbolic significance, it would be very significant. But still, perhaps worth doing. It's still, it is absolutely worth doing mm. because then we're a middle order country. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. We can actually try and promote it around the globe. What would well, Labor have done? I think you'd have to go back to Bill Shorten's press release of seventeenth March two thousand and nineteen. Mm. And what did he say? He said. At the moment, Australia doesn't have a government-owned fleet of water-bombing aircraft, making us reliant on borrowing from private companies domestically and then from overseas. Mm. The bushfire season in Australia is lengthening and already overlapping with the Northern Hemisphere, increasing the risk that we won't be able to access aircraft 
we need at times of peril. Mm. At the same time, the federal government's contribution to the National Aero Aerial Firefighting Centre has plummeted from 50% of funding to just 23 reducing our overall firefighting capability. Mm. Labor's National Firefighting Package will deliver $80 million to establish the National Aerial Bushfire Fighting Fleet of Aircraft. This fleet will provide a standing aerial firefighting capacity that will be used on demand in emergencies. So Labor actually had a policy Absolutely. of spending $80 million mm-hmm. on firefighting and many, on aircraft. How many water bombing aircraft does $80 million buy? Well, oh. it buys a few, yeah. Because uh, they wouldn't be cheap. Um, no, but what you've got... You've it got, it you've, says here, sorry, it's expected that the National Fleet will include a standing capability of up to six large or very large air tankers and up to 12 heavy rotary wing helicopters. Mm. There you go. Mm. I mean, Worth that's, having. that's good Worth that, having. that they said that. Mm. So there's your other answer to Uncle Tony when mm. he says, oh, Labor mm. would have done anything. Mm. be saying mess. Well, they actually had a policy on it. Mm. Good on them. Sorry, is that all we want to say on that issue? On well, that, yep. I think so. I mean, okay. it's just that, um, well, where was they talking about uh, something about that they were talking about buying? No, can't say it there. Doesn't matter. Anyway, okay. they, were, they were talking about, there was one article I was reading that they were talking about re retrofitting um, military uh, helicopters to make them. Capable. That was part of this. It was retrofitting Black Hawk helicopters as yeah. part of this. Yep. Uh, so mm. that would happen as, as part of this labour plan. So good on them. They had a policy. Mm. So, right. Um, our friend of the program was, G'day was, he's in the chat room there somewhere making comments. He um, posted a link from a website called Thought Hub and he, uh, when reposting it, said um, it was a rare, rational and balanced news story about the bushfires and it stated sort of eight facts about the bushfires and was thought it was good and worth sharing. And... I took a look at it and I thought, this smells very fishy to me. This is just, this isn't, these are facts, but they're distorted, slanted facts. So anyway, I said to Woz, look, I've got an issue with facts, some of these facts here, and they were, uh, I forget which numbers they were. We'll get back to that. But um, this gets back to the my sort of intro to the podcast is who writes these things? So this came from a website called Thought Hub, and um, my first issue before going any further is well, who the fuck is Thought Hub? Thought Hub, like who who are they? And their about page says the Thought Hub features Australian political and social commentary. The Thought Hub values classic liberalism, individualism. And the free market. You can follow the Thought Hub on Facebook for regular updates. That's all it says about who it is. But classic liberalism, individualism, and the free market, sort of IPA, you know, alarm bells ringing for me on that one. Anyway, first thing I do is uh, who is Thought Hub? Who owns Thought Hub? And you end up at a Reddit page. And the Reddit page, has an entry on it which says that Thought Hub is written by a guy called Dale Hughes, who's a member of the Victorian Liberals. Mm. And then there's a link and basically somebody's gone to the trouble of 
going to the registry of domain names for thoughthub.com.au and finding this guy's name and then knowing that he's a commentator who's a Liberal Party Victorian member. So, mm-hmm. um, so thoughthub.com.au looks like if you were told that this comes from a Liberal Party sympathiser, just take with an extra grain of salt, wouldn't you? Would it affect your, you know, if it came from the Liberal Party, it would affect your thinking about an issue. Your, your alarm bells would be ringing. Well, what if and it came? Is something came from the Greens? You indeed, would do the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. So, and you, you should you, apply that to everything. Exactly. You've got to try if you've got the time mm. to find out the sources and. And you've hit it on the nail on the head. If you've got you? the time, because most people don't have the time, or yeah. they don't want to. Expend too much time yeah. on chasing down sources. Yeah. So, but, you know, ultimately that wasn't that hard to just to say, who is Thought Hub? Mm. Quick Google, who are they? Within a minute you're at Reddit and, and somebody's gone to the trouble of finding out. Uh, he also says here that Dale Hughes has ceased Liberal Party membership since previously disclosing this in the drama and Fairfax opinion pieces, but he doesn't disclose on his Thought Hub website his background. So uh, so that's the first thing is when you see something like this is who's writing it? Mm. And then, okay, somebody of that bent, now my suspicions are aligned correctly. I'll now read the article. And fact number one he comes up with is um, basically there are about eight facts. And all of them sort of painted a picture, which to me was a picture of stop your whinging and complaining about the government, it's mm. not so bad as your everybody's whinging about. Mm. was the kind of tone of it. Mm-hmm. Dear listener, there's links to all this on the, on the show notes. Um, so fact number one, the federal government has been responding since November 8. The, defense, the federal defence department has been offering support and reinforcements since November 8. Every request from state governments has been promptly granted. Today, the ADF helped evacuate residents and visitors from Malakuta. As David Crow accurately reported in today's age, they have been refuelling aerial tankers, providing vehicles and drivers for search and rescue operations, serving meals to firefighters and providing accommodation for volunteers. You can find further details here at, at this link. Well, big deal. The federal government's been responding since November 8. If 100% accurate as a fact, the point is the shit they didn't do six months ago and six years ago is the problem when they had a chance. So... Merely saying, well, now they're doing the right thing is, is too late. That's the whole it's, point. So It's kind of deflection, isn't it? So while the fact is true, probably, mm. that they've basically done whatever they've been asked since November 8, it's too late. It should have been done earlier. Fact number two, emergency management is a state government responsibility. While the federal government has been clear that all support it can provide will be granted, fire management is and remains a state responsibility. Um, blah, blah. Well, we've already dealt with that's true that fire management is, but in effect, the money comes from the Commonwealth Government. Mm. And fact number six here was that um, Australian government, state or federal, Labor or Liberal, are not directly responsible for the fires. And he says here, blaming the federal government directly for the fires, as rhetorically convenient as it may be, does not stand up to scrutiny or rationality. Australia emits 1.3% of global emissions. However, Australia is the biggest exporter of coal. As a conversation reported earlier this year, if this was factored in, Australia's emissions climbed to 4%. Um, 
Australia is the highest emitter of carbon per capita in the world. Still, it does not follow that a country with a low emissions can directly on its own be responsible for the changing climate that is exacerbating the fires. But the heading of that fact is Australian government, state or federal, Labor or Liberal are not directly responsible for the fires. No. Well, that's true. They're not. But they might... Well, the federal government is directly responsible for not having been prepared to fight these fires. And the fires may not be in certain areas if they'd been prepared and had done the right things. So, Mm. anyway... It's very hard to say for sure, of course. Yeah. So, anyway, my point is... uh, Three of the facts are really um, maybe technically correct but misleading in what they are mm. getting at. And so, dear listener, when I say you have to examine the facts and try and find the sources, mm. you then have to look carefully at the facts and go, well, really, is that a relevant mm. fact? And in the context of things, the fact that the government's done everything it can since middle of November, does that really matter if, in fact, it should have been doing things six months ago? Mm. There we go. Right. That's enough on fires for a little bit. We'll divert slightly and we haven't mentioned Barnaby Joyce for a while. Dear God in heaven. Barnaby was in his paddock (sighs) and he was on the back of a ute and he was feeding his cattle and he just had enough and he he decided... He was looking pretty hot and bothered, wasn't he? He decided he'd get his phone out and start live streaming to the world his (laughs) thoughts and... What came over him? And what you've got, I've got it here for you, dear listener. If you have the thoughts of, of Barnaby as he was uh, feeding his cattle, here we go. Well, you probably wonder what uh, politicians do on uh, Christmas Eve. Well, it, when it's drought, feed cattle. Now, you don't have to convince me that the climate's not changing. It is changing. And my problem's always been whether you believe a new tax is going to change it back. Look, I just don't want the government anymore in my life. I'm sick of the government being in my life. Yeah, and the other thing is I think we've got to acknowledge is, you know, there's a higher authority that's beyond our comprehension and right up there in the sky. Unless we understand uh, that that's got to be respected, then... We're just fools, and we're going to get nailed. Some of us. He's up there in the sky. Hang I on. mean, you can't be more explicit We're going to get that. nailed. Wasn't he, the guy, wasn't he the guy in the sky got nailed? Wasn't he? On the cross? <laughs> well, he's some. Any tryst in the feet? Yeah. So. Part of him. Well, he's a fucking Look, up there in the sky. I mean... This is the leadership we've got, dear listener. Uh, the litany of disastrous political decisions we've gone through already. And they only going to get worse. worse. Yeah. Yep. I, this is something I said a few weeks ago. I said I could never imagine, you know, our greater prime ministers of the past mm. ever wearing their religion on their sleeve the way this current crop seems to. Indeed. You know, it's really bizarre that mm. they honestly think that they can get away with it now. Mm. And they're getting away with it to a great extent. It's depressing. We'll talk about what you can do soon. Uh, you know... What does Barnaby say that he doesn't want the government in his life? He's a member of the government. Exactly. He should quit. This, this guy is one of the guys operating the levers of government. Exactly. For goodness sake. Uh, meanwhile, he, is, he was the special drought envoy who never provided a written report of his activities. Oh, he sent text messages. Yeah. And uh, certain groups have been putting in freedom of information requests trying to find 
his texts. So they're basically saying, you, the government, look at the, at the phones and give us a copy of the text messages. Mm. And the government has fobbed it off and said, no, that's too tough. We'll it's, it's a matter of national security or yeah. something like yeah. that. Almost. <laughs> well, yes. Oh, it's too tough, took up too much time. And in doing that, we, we might reveal things that really are best kept secret. Mm. It's they are taking us for fools, and we are, because we are taking it. And in fact, they're defying the spirit of the law, aren't they? Freedom mm. of information. Yeah. It was supposed to be about transparency in government so that the actual people who vote them into power have access to the, the, you know, the thoughts behind their decision-making. Mm. Is, that, is that what it's about? It's, yeah, and exactly. That's what it's supposed to be about. <laughs> but they can just fob us off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, let's talk about 2020 coming up. Shall we? We're yeah. already there. Yeah. In the words of Pablo Casals, the situation is hopeless. We must take the next step. <laughs> what, a, what other option do we have? Mm. I put it to you, dear listener, that this Conservative government are a bunch of nutbags that are beyond redemption. There's no fixing these guys. Like, they, the leadership that we've just looked at, it's riddled with maniacs. Mm. And as we've illustrated on previous episodes, the membership is now just taken over completely and it's full of religious nutbags Indeed. who are pushing through things like the Religious Discrimination yeah. Bill. There is no saving this Liberal but Party. They're just, they're just it, plain incompetent. It has been taken over by a version of the Tea Party. Indeed. And it cannot be recovered. Our only option is for someone else. And I say, you're wasting your time with micro-parties. You should join the Labor Party. And, mm. okay, the Labor Party's got enormous problems. Deeply flawed. Indeed. But nowhere near as deeply flawed as the Liberal Party. Gosh. Scott, you were talking about joining the Labor Party. Are you yeah. still going to do it? I will still do it, yeah. I've got to work out where. That's mm. all. I'm going to do it. Are you really? Yeah. Won't that compromise your I don't care. independence as a commentator? Let's face it, nobody's going nobody's to want me as a commentator anyway, so I'm just kidding myself. Oh, so, yeah. So I'm going to join the Labor Party. Mm-hmm. I've been telling everybody else to, <laughs> and I think it will be a worthwhile exercise. Absolutely. So here's the whole. I keep telling the better half he should attend meetings and all that sort of stuff. He says, no, he's already a member, isn't he? He's a member of the Labor Party, right, but he right. doesn't he doesn't attend the meetings. Yeah, I'm going to attend some meetings and be a listener during the course of 2020. I'm going to tell you how it goes. Mm-hmm. But okay, here's my inspiration: is um, I've been listening to Michael Moore's got a new podcast, The mm. Rumble. Yeah, America's Michael Moore. Yeah, yeah. He, Are you a fan? Yes. Yeah, you'd hate him. I don't hate him. All oh, right, okay. But you I'm hate not his a huge ideas. fan. Right, no, no, okay. I just think he's a little he, bit inconsistent. He picked the election. He knew that Trump was going to win. He said I think a publicly, lot of people picked No, him. they didn't. Don't you think? No. He was one of the very few who said Trump is going to win and uh, he called it very early. So, Lucky guess? Mm, no. He it wasn't really a lucky no, guess. It he wasn't was, a lucky he was, guess. He was out. He was, he was out, out and about. He, he was, was in, in those. He was in those states. Rust Belt those states. Rust Belt states. That, that and he switched. said, "Where is Hillary? Mm. I'm watching Trump mm. rallies. Yeah. Hillary is going to win this. So, Trump um, is going to win this. Uh, sorry, thank yeah. you. So, I'm looking. I've been listening to his podcast, and he's talking about the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at um, Bernie Sanders and. Um, 
Elizabeth Warren and Ocasio-Cortez. And there's a battle going on in the Democratic Party in the States between the establishment right wing, which is your Bidens. um, Your Clintons. Yep. uh, Who are all for the status quo of basically big business. Business as usual. Exactly. And you've got uh, almost not a civil war but a real battle happening in the Democratic Party mm. where people like Sanders and, and more and others are saying we need to change this party to the left and they're working as hard as they can to do it. So, But uh, others are saying but, if but they really, go too far left, they'll alienate the vast majority of American but, voters. But if anyway. you, well, if, well, they're saying that, but, but arguably the reason the Rust Belt didn't vote for the Democrats was because they didn't provide any hope. So arguably somebody like Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden or Buttigieg are really very different ends of a spectrum, Mm. but they're in the same party. Mm. They must disagree on a shitload of stuff, Mm. but they're actually in the same party. Mm. So that's why I think you could join the Labor Party and disagree Ah. with a shitload of stuff but say it needs to change. Now, whether that's possible or not... You can't in the Labor Party. You can't disagree too publicly, though, can you? Because they maintain what they call party discipline. Whereas the Liberal Party repeatedly tell us they're a broad church. Yeah, the I Labor Party that. don't say that. I know that, but the broad church is getting very narrow now because it has <laughs> been dominated by it it, be. because now dominated by actual church members. Yeah, but what? But what's your feeling about the Labor Party's insistence on so-called party discipline? In other words, don't say anything publicly that deviates too far from the party line. That's only for the elected elected representatives. Re- elected representatives. Yeah. Everybody else is quite at liberty to say whatever the hell they want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why um, I always used to hate uh, the Liberal Party uh, annual conferences because they were so orchestrated mm. and they were choreographed to within an inch of their life. Whereas the Labor Party, apparently back in the day, used to walk in, there'd be virtually a brawl going on mm-hmm. between all these people yelling and screaming at each other. Yeah. 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 Mm. Now, I don't know if that's still the case, but I can't imagine it would have moved on that much. don't know. Anyway, I'm going to go in and have a look and see. Yeah. And, and I'll be interested back. to hear your reports. Yeah, but that's the sort of mindset of, I'm mm. entering it with, mm. where there's, sure, lots of problems, but... Uh, taking the leaf out of that sort of left wing of the Democratic Party and trying to argue to people. If I can just get in a room with some of these people and just shove them into a corner for five minutes and berate them with some ideas, then that'll just be satisfying enough, won't well, it? The so. religious discrimination bill's got to be where you've got to start. Mm. Yeah. Indeed. So do you think you can turn around the historical sort of decline of the Labor Party's, um, you know... I have no idea, but it's the only First option. And I think that the minor parties, micro parties, are yeah. a waste of effort, unfortunately. Uh, as I, much I, as there's such good people yeah. in them, I think they're better um, time spent elsewhere. Um, Matthew says, what was that podcast you listened to, Scott? Two Crazy Guys or something like that? I two need more um, cranky individuals? Two cranky hacks. Or... Yeah, two cranky hacks or... I don't know. Look for that one, Matthew. Or we might look it up while we're talking about it. Yeah. So, um, uh, two grumpy hacks. That's it. Right. Um, uh, 
There we go. Bromman says, you'll find there's a big difference between the Parliamentary Labor Party and the membership. There are often stark differences, e.g. most members don't support Labor's asylum seeker policy. There we go. Mm. Mm. I think it'll be interesting. So that's going to happen in 2020. Um, Other things we're going to talk about, like I've been talking about getting your information and trying to get a range of views and being careful of knowing the inherent bias of what you get. And next week, dear listener, I'm going to talk about RSS readers. Are you guys aware of that? No. Right. So for this podcast, dear listener, um, basically if I find a website that I like the sound of or has interesting articles, so it might be the Ken and Malik website, it might be the John Menager website, it might be Quillette, it might be Spiked, it might be... Um, or a range of different places like that. Mm-hmm. You can get a thing called an RSS reader, which is free, or you can get one that you pay a little bit of money for, a couple of dollars a month. Mm-hmm. And essentially, you can subscribe to websites and the RSS feeder will find out whenever they post an article. Mm-hmm. So every time Ken and Malik post an article, or Spike does, it just appears in my list. In the And it's a really good way of creating your own news magazine Indeed. for... Um, for your own sort of view of what's going on in the world. So I'm going to talk about next week about uh, using that and I'm going to ask for suggestions about blogs and websites that people think are good. Mm. And so in the next week, dear listener, send me your suggestions for sites like uh, the John Menager blog and not like thoughthub.com. <laughs> that I can subscribe to. Does yeah. the ALP, the Australian Labor Party, do they have anything comparable? Like do they have a, their oh, own think tank? There's Mikel, yes, and there's different think tanks. Of course they yeah. do, don't they? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Warren says, are you aware of your inherent biases, Trevor? And the answer is, well, yes, everybody's biased. So We are. You know, clearly I've got a bias against Stephen Pinker. And <laughs> that one is irrational, <laughs> completely irrational. So, uh, so you know, every, you know, people have biases. You've got to just it, – it's it'd be ridiculous for somebody to say they're unbiased. But you've just got to uh, um, and yet people, work out what they are and say – Like if they? I say something about Stephen Pinker, most people listening to this podcast for the last year would go, oh, okay, Trevor's anti-Pinker, I'll, I'll take that with a grain of salt because maybe Pinker's right. You know, like, see – could work it out. Like I could write a list, but of, of biases. But yeah. you know, the really big one is money and livelihood. And is somebody relying on their livelihood um, to run a certain line? And the one of the benefits of this podcast is that you're not getting paid <laughs> <laughs> by anybody except we're, the listeners. That's right. We're getting. We're getting. Um, uh, we're, we're getting, getting paid, a very meager amount of money from the listeners. Indeed, yeah. but a couple of bucks uh, here and there from different people. Like uh, we had a one guy uh, write to us recently and and basically complained about a number of things, including our bias. And and really oh, I said – complained about your bias? Yeah, and I, I said to him, look, I get it that you may not longer enjoy the podcast. I've fallen out of love with different podcasts. Mm. You're welcome to leave. Yeah. Like, So we are not sort of – if everybody left tomorrow because mm. we came out and said something 
outrageous. Outrageous, mm. or we thought that 50% of the people would disagree with. Indeed. We'd still say it because it just doesn't matter to us. Mm. You know, there's not many people broadcasting to you, dear listener, who can say that. Yeah. Even a guy like, say, a Joe Rogan, for example, mm. is clearly independent and making bucket loads of money. Mm-hmm. But when you start making bucket loads of money, like if he came out with something that might knock off 25% of his listeners, if he came out with something... Well, he might say it that, anyway. That, well, he might... But he also might go, shit, that's a million dollars. Actually, that hurts. Uh, you know, even though he's making five million, a million dollars might hurt. Like, he might not be greedy it, and it, he might say, I'm willing to forego that it, million bucks. Indeed. But we're at the point where this is just chicken feed. So it doesn't, it's really, it's, it's really not critical. <laughs> so what if someone offered you a million bucks tomorrow, Trevor, to totally slant your podcast in a certain direction? Would you accept it? Well, a million dollars a year? Yeah, well, even yeah. a million a year might be worth having. Well, <laughs> it would, if they offered me a million dollars a year... That's 333 grand a head. I, so, I, yes. <laughs> so if the Koch brothers... No, I mean just for Trevor. So the Koch brothers said, Trevor, we want you to um, keep doing your podcast. By the way, all that stuff you're doing about... Scamo being about, the Antichrist. About Murdoch. We want you to leave, leave Murdoch alone. alone. Yeah, okay. okay. So We'll give you a million bucks. Well, okay. Uh can I have another podcast on the side where I do say it? No. <laughs> no. Can I say it? You have to totally the, prostitute yourself. Yeah. Well, the, that would question. What about that, 10 that would, million? You could buy me for 10 million. I, I'll quit. I thought so. You know, yeah. And I, what I'll do is I'll, with that 10 million, I'll fund somebody else to do what I'm Ooh, doing. So there you go. Sneaky. So that's what I would do. So, but I, of course, <laughs> I'd take least the 10 million. At least they've eliminated your dear malevolent if, influence if in the podcast That's world. right. If you're, a, if you're an evil industrialist out there <laughs> and you're thinking to you and you're rubbing your hands together and you're thinking, how can I shut down this goddamn podcast? Oh, they're they're starting that, to you know, motivate the it's masses. It's a menace, this Iron Fist Velvet <laughs> Glove podcast. <laughs> a total well, I can be for $10 million. I, we, we can all be bought. <laughs> there you go, Len. And hard bottom, if you want us to yeah. shut up, 10 million bucks is the price. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So there we go. Um, that's that. Uh, what else are we going to do? Uh, oh, um, oh, gee, we've still got time. I mean, how long are we going here? It's only an hour and a half. The night is still young. The night is young. Yeah. I missed the podcast. You know, that weeks away. Yeah. I was really looking forward to coming back for this. You were pining for the podcast. I was, yeah. Yeah. Um, Boris, of course, won uh, the election in the he UK. Did. And, mm, quite um, convincingly. Mm. And I read something where he's gunning for the BBC, like he's investigating ways of removing their funding. And mm. Didn't um, know that. yeah, and I reckon Morrison is going to reduce funding for the ABC. They've oh, already been well, doing it yeah. over a period of years. Indeed, uh, the ABC is in their sights. Yeah. So watch out for that. Um. Oh, what else? I th- Except they can't go too far on the ABC because the National Party loves the ABC because yeah. the ABC is the only ones that actually broadcast in the regions. I think quite a lot of Australians like the ABC, don't they? Or am mm. I? is it just because I'm a lifelong ABC watcher that I think other people would also appreciate it? I think you're probably more the latter rather than the former. Mm. Um, you know, the other way of spotting somebody who reads The Australian and this is one of the Uncle Tonys that I met on my holidays was if they really bag the ABC. Oh, okay. Um, it's a big sign that they've been reading The Australian because, or they've been watching Sky Do News. libertarians so, support the ABC? Uh, 
Well, you do. <laughs> you do, but yeah. That's why I ask. Yeah. Because um, I, I really like the ABC and appreciate mm. the role of the ABC. And yet, I wish the ABC would mm, have a little bit more ideological neutrality, is what I ask for. I don't want them to be biased in any particular direction. I don't think they should be. I think they should be as far as practical ideologically neutral and they're not i mean we see that their religion and ethics department which used to be very good i remember back in the 1990s i used to listen to radio national's religion report and the journalist who did it was excellent and he was very non-committed to any particular religion and he was scrupulously objective or at least i think he tried to be and then he was he was dumped and replaced with some christian guy or a bunch of Christian guys and, mm. and women, mm. and they've just taken over the ethics section of the ABC and made it into a Christian love fest. T- typically a libertarian would be against the ABC because it's publicly owned, and a libertarian would be free market. So I'm not a libertarian then. In that sense, you're not. I'm not. Yeah. you're. But I do notice in some yeah. of their opinion pieces a very strong far-left uh, bias. Mm. Uh, just getting back to this Uncle Tony, I, I did write something here. If you start a conversation with the person and they like ScoMo, if they talk down climate change, if they hate Greta Thunberg, that's a big one, and if they hate the ABC, uh, and if they think Trump's doing okay because the stock market's up, my first question is, are you reading a lot of The Australian? <laughs> the answer. So they're, they're the key thing. Greta, Greta Thunberg... Uh, Talking down climate change and um, and the anti ABC is, is key key ones. Yeah, but you can criticise people like Greta Thunberg without hating her. You know, what I mean. Yeah, but these people really disparage her quite quite viciously. Yeah, yeah, like um, Bolt. Yeah, mm. um, I watched a documentary called "The Brainwashing of My Dad." <laughs> it was on like Amazon Prime or something like that. If you can watch it, dear listener, it's an interesting one. Amazon Prime. Where, where do you access that? It's oh, just yeah. a streaming service that yeah. Amazon provides. Yeah. So basically what it was was this family who had a lovely dad uh, through their childhood. He was an almost kind of alternative guy, mm. like leftish but gentle. Mm. Uh, they remember going to New York, getting out of the subway, and he gave money to a homeless black man, called him Sir, like, and just a fun, gentle soul. And in his retirement, well, prior to his retirement, he started commuting for uh, 90 minutes each day, each way, started listening to talkback radio, mm. then started getting onto um, Fox News uh-huh. and turned into a ranting, bitter old man Poor that the family just couldn't handle. Sounds like a family tragedy. Yeah, it was. It was real. It was a tragedy because this beautiful man that they'd grown up with mm. changed completely. Mm. And on emails, he used to just get these emails all the time that would just um, send him into a rage. He became Can I a, ask a, a favour of you? Mm. Yeah. If you, if you see the signs, <laughs> <laughs> just let me know. Okay. Okay. Set me right. Anyway, so that's the premise of this documentary. And in the end, the way they solved it was. He had to go in and get some minor operation done. So while he was in that situation, a little bit of a circuit breaker, and they went on his computer and basically... Wiped uh, the memory. 
uh, unsubscribed him from all these emails, subscribed him to some more leftish ones, oh. and also said Foxtel's not working anymore. Like, we just can't fix it. Like, they changed the programming tab. And within a short while, he came around and was a really nice guy again. Mm. And, and, and his views changed completely. Um, so senile dementia had really set in. No, no. It, and he didn't notice that his kids were manipulating his eyes. <laughs> yeah, but he'd been brainwashed by this sort of hard right talkback radio. And then reprogrammed by his children. Yeah. There which is worse. Well... I'll leave that to you to Look, decide. I, you I, watch the documentary okay. and, and um, see what you but think. But I'll, I'll tell you one case. A few years ago, my elderly mother uh, confided in me that one of, one of my dear sisters uh, had taken her to the, the, the polling station on an election day and basically guided her vote away from the party she wanted to vote for and that she'd voted for all her life. Mm. And she told me that and I said... Don't ever let my sister do that to you again. Your vote is your right, mm. you know. I, w- I was really quite upset about it, to mm-hmm. be honest. Now, it's one thing to give people access to alternative information, but to try and shape their thoughts and their ideas, I think, is a little unethical. Well, what if their thoughts and ideas have been shaped unethically by a right-wing Fox News well, sprouting lies and misinformation. Yeah, who's to say who is more or less eth- ethical, though? Isn't, isn't, isn't that the right of the individual to make that judgment? Well, if somebody's been brainwashed... I mean, you talk about religion How all the time. How do you measure it? But we talk about religion all the time yeah. as a brainwashing. Yeah, you, you seem to accept that people can be brainwashed to a religious view... But you don't seem to accept that brainwashing can happen. No, no, in I do other accept philosophical it. I do areas. accept it, but I just think that uh, it's a little unscrupulous to take an old person and try and, you know, deliberately change what they're accessing. What, what if what if the old person was uh, a fierce uh, um, Mormon and was? Subjected to Mormon propaganda all the time. Oh, that's and, a different and, story. And, and, different and the family category. said, "Look, here's some ideas about, if not atheism, at least agnosticism or something like yeah, that." Mormonism would, is insidious. Would, well, in a right-wing neoliberal ideology, isn't insidious? Like it can be. Do you do you but, not but, see the difference? Far left-wing ideology can. Do you be not insidious. see that on a religious level, you're more willing to poo-poo the ideology and do something about it, whereas with this. With this sort of economic ideology, or, or you're, you're, you're more, oh, I'll let it all go. Look, what, you're, think, you're more willing to do things about religion. I, th- than I think all the extreme ideologies are insidious and I think yeah. I would try to gently coax my elderly relative to broaden their reading rather mm. than sabotage their computer so that they can't access what I don't like. Yeah. To my family, a message to the future. If, yes. You know, sabotage my computer oh, if no. I turn into a nutbag. <laughs> uh, Liam in the chat room says, I'd have sold out for less, Trevor. Thanks, Liam. <laughs> Make you feel better? Yeah. Uh, I would have too. They just, they just started off with a really high figure, Liam. <laughs> I would have gone for a lot less. Uh, now, what else do we have to say here? Um, 
Yeah, I think we're going to try and do a few video excerpts. So you know when we sort of have fun moments on this show, do we're going we? to try and do cut them into little. Moments? We're going to try and cut them into some little video segments, and then maybe people can share them. So if anybody's out, oh, and my, well, my daughter said noted about my. Oh, right. <laughs> she's really good on you. So she's in the chat room. She's actually yeah. listening. She'll be looking for the signs. Yeah. So what I was going to say is. Um, yeah, we're going to do little video excerpts. So if we do them, please share them. If somebody's got time out there and could help, uh, as, you know, if you're retired and you haven't been brainwashed by Fox News, <laughs> um, you've got time on your hands uh, to help out with video editing, let us know. Um, what else have we got here is patrons. Let's thank the patrons and the beer sponsors. Uh, Can we go beer sponsors? Beer sponsors, please, Scott. Right, tonight we're drinking from friend of the show, Steve, a Zitho Brewing IPA, and it's very tasty. Very so good. thank you very much, Steve. Mm. And the rest of the beer sponsors from the start was Wayno, Landon, Hardbottom, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Caitlin, Zach, Captain Doomsday, friend of the show, and Tony Wall, Mr. Anderson, Glenn Bell, and, of course, friend of the show, Steve. Now, next week... We're having a homemade beer that's just coming from a lady whose name escapes me, so I will get that name right by next week. In tall, chilled glasses? Absolutely. Yeah. Got to yes. chill some glasses. Um, I did say, I did email and say that the, the bottle survived, but one of them started <laughs> leaking. Yes. So mm. I've got one and a half bottles now. <laughs> <laughs> it came back from a few days away and it was like, what's that? Yeasty, beery smell coming from my office. Whoops. Uh, one of the bottles has started leaking. So we're down to one. Anyway, dear listener, um, we have patrons for the show who contribute, you know, as little as a dollar a show. It's not much. No, but it helps uh, pay for expenses. And um, some people have been with us forever, and it's great, guys like Sean. So if the deal is, if you really like the show, actually, I was listening, I was talking to somebody at Christmas, uh, a son of a friend who likes the show. Mm. And I said, Why? How much do you like it? He goes, Oh, I've been listening heaps. I said, have you been listening for like 20 shows? He said, yeah, loving it. I said, oh. you know what happens when you listen to 20 shows, Mark? Mm. What? I said, well, after it's 20 time. shows, it's time to stump up. <laughs> That's <laughs> when you've got to become a patron. So it's purely voluntary, but um, if you're really into the show and but you listen every expected. week, after the first 20 to 25 freebies, we want you to sign on as a patron and contribute at least a dollar a show to help cover expenses and our future retirements. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you to people who've done it in the past. From way back on the 5th of February, 2016, the one and the only, the ultimate Sean, uh, you're a champion, Sean, thank you. Thank you also to uh, Janelle Craig, John Landon, Wayne Oyama, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robert, Rod, Palais, Maddickman, Dominic, Liam, who said I was cheap, uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, or said I could be cheaper. I forgot what you've said. It was Liam. Dave, Karen, uh, Daniel, Harry, Peter, Captain Doomsday, Wheat Watcher, Andy Murray, Melinda, Adam, Professor, Dr. Dentist, Will, Glenn, Craig, Matthew, Alexander. Paul is still with us. Good on you, Paul. Tom, Tarot, Camille, Kim, Donnie, Darko, Clinton, Gavin, John is new, I think. John and um, Tony and, and somebody called Yet Another Pinker. So thank you Ooh, to all of those. Provocative. Papers. And if you don't like the idea of patron and you want to do it through PayPal, uh, you can do it like Dean Ken was the beneficiary, Mr. Anderson, Corinne, Matt Man, David, Beverly, and uh, Damien from Redline Digital, who helped out with our website. Contact Damien for all your WordPress needs and also Wayne. Wayne. Right. And there might have been some others, but my 
inbox is really full and I'm working my way through it after the holidays. So if you, if you did sort of do something through PayPal and I didn't mention you, I'll get to it once I sort of get through this um, clogged up uh, inbox. Now, we're coming towards the end, I think. We're in the home straight. Oh, <laughs> Cam Riley has written a book. Friend of the show, Cam. Epidemic, wasn't it? Yeah, the psychopath mm. epidemic. And the premise of the book is that <clears throat> many of the world's leading organisations are run by senior management who probably rank highly on the psychopathic test. Mm. So psychopaths aren't all serial killers. Many of them wear a suit or uniform or work in an office. Their inherent ability to lie, cheat, and steal make them perfect managers. Mm-hmm. They have the perfect combination of heartlessness and ambition. And we've all worked with or for one of them, everyone has a story, and yet we don't talk about it in the open. The media doesn't seem to have connected the existence of psychopaths and a possible reason why the leaders of our economies act erratically and with so little empathy. Mm. Is it true that ScoMo did paid like $180,000 for empathy training, or is that an urban myth or something? This it's probably an urban myth, but I think they probably did actually have someone come in to give him some sort of training. Yeah. But, uh... So Cam's book is the first systematic attempt to derive a model that explains how and why psychopaths are allowed to occupy positions of power in our society. Is it the first? That's what Cam claims. Uh, I think people have uh, published on this topic years ago, in fact. Yeah. Cam's got a theory that once he's published it, somebody else will and that they'll be famous as a result because he wrote a book on free will and then Sam Harris came out with a book on free will and was famous. Ah, so so Sam stole his ideas off Cam. And Cam was was one of the original podcasters and then other people Mm. came along and podcasted and and (laughs) that's his his theory. But anyway, I read an earlier draft of it Mm -hmm. many months ago. I haven't read the latest one but it is a good book and it's got local stuff and talks about Australia uh, a lot of Australian characters, so... Uh, we don't have psychopaths in Australia. What yeah, are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. Well, dear listener, if you're interested in this topic a little bit, it sort of works in line. Remember we did the podcast which was titled something like um, Whispering Beta Males? Do you remember that one? No? That was the um, thing where you had all these beta males got together to knock off the alpha males, didn't Correct. They? Yeah. So yeah. one of the things that has led to who we are as human beings is when you look at um, other animal species, often they're dominated by an alpha male mm. who just um, knocks off and kills or, or gives a hard time mm. to the beta males. Oh, right, yeah. And everybody spends their whole time fighting. So chimpanzees compared to bonobos are, spend their time fighting, whereas mm. bonobos are having sex all the time. Mm. And... There's a whole story there. If you Google or look on our website for the episode about whispering beta males, but essentially what it's what a theory I was proposing there, which I was reading from other books, was that one of the reasons that we became human was that once people could communicate, the beta males could get together and say, that alpha male, he's a real asshole, mm. And if you get a chance, uh, when he's on the edge of the glacier or the iceberg, just push him off or... There's, there's all sorts of stories where mm-hmm. people examine primitive societies mm-hmm. and the alpha male, they, they convinced him to climb a tree and get some coconuts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And once he was up the tree, they gathered all of his spears and weapons and when he came down, they beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so we as a community now need to beat the shit out of some alpha males, sort mm-hmm. of not, not literally, but 
metaphorically. So you're not advocating violence. No, I'm exactly. not. No. no, but we're entitled to say <laughs> to um, the Jeff Bezos of the world, eh, you got too much. Is he an alpha it's, male? It's it's too much. Mm. Yeah, we're going to take some off you. Um, I, we can do I that. We can get together and say no more. Bonobos. So they mm. called bonobos because they have perpetual bonus. <laughs> I don't know. I, no, I think there'd be another reason. Oh, okay. Thanks. Just a thought. Okay. And finally, uh, so, look, we might get Cam on at some point or I might talk to Cam and record something about mm-hmm. his book. I guess the trick is you don't want to talk too much about the book so that nobody buys it, so you just want to tease them with mm-hmm. it. So, Indeed. Um, so, yeah, do that. Finally, oh, we've often had this thing about uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk. Queensland. About the pronunciation of her yes. name. Did you get clarification Indeed, from we, Mark? Indeed, we do, yes. So... Let me just see where I put that. I hope I've got it. Oh, yes. So um, right-wing Tony said that he met a Polish guy mm-hmm. who said that Palaszczuk in Polish is actually Palaszczuk. Palaszczuk. So right-wing Tony always refers to her as Anastasia Palaszczuk. And I didn't wasn't sure whether it was another urban myth or not. But friend of the program, Wayne... Obviously rang one of his um, Polish friends mm-hmm. and got them to record to a message. Oh. And uh, here it is. So uh, I'll play some of that now. Pa-washtuk or pa-lashtuk, pa-lashtuk, pa-washtuk. There you go. It's official. Pretty close. Anastasia. Palaszczuk. Yeah. Palaszczuk. <laughs> Palace, not palace. Yeah. Palace. 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 It's close, but it's not exactly. Palace. Palace. Yeah. There we go. I reckon. Oh, gee. We didn't even get onto New Zealand and the volcano. We'll do that. What are we up to? An hour 55. Yeah. Yeah, why not? What do you think of the volcano? (laughs) Just briefly. 17 dead and a few more. Pretty badly injured. Terrible. What yeah. an awful. Mm. Shocking awful way to, to die, I would think. Oh, would yeah, have been awful. But the better half had a very interesting opinion of that. He yeah. said that back in the day, you'd had to be a real out there adventurer to go climbing on an active volcano. Yeah. And now it's just too easy to do. Exactly. And that's the whole point that you just, it's so open now that. You've got mums and, mums and daughters getting burnt to death on a volcano. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me to make a hell of a lot of sense that you would go well, over to something And like New that. Zealand is kind of the, you know, one of those epicentres of uh, adrenaline sports now, isn't it, yeah. in, in world tourism? Are you aware of the insurance arrangements in New Zealand? No. Oh, the government covers you, doesn't it? Yeah, mm. I just read about this today. Is that part of their international tourism promotion, that... If something terrible happens to you, the government will f- fix you up. Well, it's t- it's a two-edged sword. So, dear listener, if the volcano incident happened in off Australia and it was an Australian operator, basically those people would be having to go to court and say uh, the operators were negligent, mm-hmm. they should have known about the risks involved, they didn't warn us enough mm-hmm. about them, that waiver that I signed... Uh, Shouldn't be legally binding. Isn't binding and negligent operators should pay me money as a result of their negligence. That's what you'd be doing in Australia. Mm. In New Zealand, you don't sue. You can't sue. But instead, the government says, if you're injured in an accident, we pay for your medical and your rehabilitation. Mm. 
but you can't sue the company. Oh, so, right. Do yeah. they get compensation too for personal loss? I'm not exactly sure of what they get in terms of mm. that sort of thing, mm. but basically it's a very different system. Mm. So on the one hand that sounds great that you don't have to... On the other hand, you can't sue the company, so, which is a bit dodgy. Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure how much you get and what sort of financial loss of income you might get. I don't know the exact details, mm. but... Uh, on the one hand, you see in Australia businesses are very. You have to be. You obviously have insurance, mm. but you'd still be like, well, oh, gee, we don't do anything risky mm. because we could be sued for multiple millions. Yeah. Whereas in New Zealand, well, let's run this cable operation, <laughs> and uh, if the cable breaks, <laughs> it breaks. Yeah, we won't be sued. Yeah. Now, obviously, that's not how it works because. There's obviously government inspectors and there's probably other penalties for sure. for running dodgy operations yeah. that would apply. So it's not just a free-for-all, but it's a different way of looking things that the yeah. New Zealanders have. And um, so, for example, a rural firefighter in Australia is suing um, because of uh, – for work-induced post-traumatic stress disorder. And mm. if that happened in New Zealand, he would simply say, I have this disorder – now give me all of the therapy and mm. treatment I okay. I need, and so I don't, don't have to, you don't have to prove court, negligence. Yeah. So interesting system, mm. I thought. It's very interesting, but um, I took the uh, line where they said that uh, it could lead to businesses and that sort of stuff. Just like you're saying, just throwing their arms, saying, oh, it's no big deal. We're not going to getting sued." Yeah, but I'm mm. sure there'd be other rules that say if you've run a dodgy operation, you as a director could be personally liable yeah. under some mm. crime or whatever, um, some some un, some penalty and under a workplace. Apparently, act. the town near that volcano, uh, the volcano troops were a pretty important part of their local tourism business. Yeah, I'm sure. So that obviously is not going to happen anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's going to happen to the town, I wonder? They'll yeah. have to come up with some other idea. Yeah, who knows? Right, well, there's a whole bunch of things. We didn't even get to Iran and impeachment. We'll get to that uh, next week because apparently... We might have more sort of follow-up from yeah, that. If, if we're still around, if nuclear war hasn't broken out. Well, Iran doesn't have nuclear weapons, but that no. won't stop Donald Trump. Who knows? Right, I reckon that's enough. That's uh, okay. two hours Pretty much so. <laughs> Look, the chat room was up to about 19. There's 13 have stayed to the bitter end. Well done. Uh, good, good on you in, the, in, in the chat room. Thank you for that. We appreciate your messages. Um, normally, we're going to be doing this on a Tuesday night at about 7.30 Brisbane time. It was a Wednesday night on this occasion. But mm. normally Tuesday, although I've got another granddaughter coming along very soon, which might interfere. But anyway, we'll... It's a very fertile family you've produced here. It seems to be. (laughs) So anyway, have a look on the Facebook page and uh, follow us and like us and if, you know, we'll try and update you as to when the next one will be. Mm. Um, So that's 7.30 Queensland time, which is Australian Eastern Standard Time, not Australian Daylight Saving Time. Yeah. So I think Bron would probably... Bailed because she's in Victorian. She gets to bed early, but she hung in there for a while. Good on you, Bronwyn. Thanks, yeah. Bronwyn. So, all right. Thank you, dear listener. Tell your friends about us. Um, share the love, and we will talk to you next week. Bye for now. Okay. Thanks very much. Bye now. Bye, everyone. Father Anonymous here. First, glove. Congratulations on four years of entertaining and informative podcasts. Twelfth man, I fear it not for your wise counsel. Your comrades 
would have argued in ever-decreasing circles, until eventually disappearing up their own. Amen. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.